I have an introduction to make this morning, one that um, will be needed for some of you, but not for others. My dear friend John Stetson, retired Nazarene pastor, is going to preach for us this morning. He and his wife Andrea live in Simsbury. Look at that, they got the door for you. And it's our pleasure to welcome uh, Pastor John to the pulpit this morning uh, to break the word of life to us. Brother? Thank you, Pastor Danny. I love that line uh, from the song, uh, He is the love song will sing forever. I just, it's just beautiful. You know, this COVID thing, right? The last year and a half, it's been rough. I mean, politically, socially, uh, personally, uh, so many disruptions in our lives and so much confusion. And most people I know, my friends, uh, family, acquaintances, it's hard to have random conversations these days. Uh, look at the shape of the world around us and, and they're dismayed. I mean, if the world is in this much chaos and disorder now, what is it going to be like for our children, our children's children, our, their children? The oracle that... Um, the vision from God that Habakkuk saw in three short, tap, three short chapters reveals a world in similar straits. We don't know much of anything about Habakkuk. Uh, all we know for certain is what we read here in Scripture. There are some uh, traditions outside of Scripture which may or may not be uh, real or, or, or true. What we do know is when probably it was written. And it was written, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the kings of, of, of Judah, but probably right after the reign of Josiah, who was the last good king in Judah, and some, somewhere before the, the rise to military prominence of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, late 600s, around 605, somewhere in that B.C. And what caught my attention is how closely Habakkuk's comp complaints align with our current experience. I mean, whether you read the news, whether you watch the news on TV, whether you, you listen to the news on radio, hopefully you don't get your news from social media, um, you'll see that, that we're living in a world of increasing divisiveness and chaos. Everyone is pointing fingers at everyone else, trying to justify their words and their actions while condemning anyone who will not agree with them. The news reveals that political leaders here and around the world are unconcerned about and disconnected from God's word, God's instruction, and God's shalom. They talk about maintaining peace and order. They talk about bipartisan cooperation, but their actions contradict their words. And closer to home, violence is rampant on our streets, uh, in, in our jobs, in our schools, in, in the local coffee shop, wherever we look. And sadly, there are too many people, perhaps some here, who are working two or three jobs just to provide uh, basic needs for their families and are still struggling to make ends meet. As for taxes, what can we say? There's a story of a little boy who wanted $100 to give his mom a Christmas present. Christmas, like now, is, is, is approaching. And he didn't know how to get it. Things were tight at home. So he decided to write a letter to God. Not to Santa, to God. 
And he wrote this letter and he addressed it, God, United States of America, put on a stamp and a return, uh, return address. And, and it must have been somebody gave it to the postmaster and said, what do I do with this? Well, he read it. And he said, this is great. I'm going to send this to the President of the United States. And the President got it. He opened it. He was, he was joy and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, a little chuckle. And he told his secretary to send the boy $50 because that's a lot of money for a little boy. Well, the boy got the, the $50. He was delighted. And immediately he sat down to, to write a letter, a thank, thank you letter to God. And, and the letter, I have it here, um, Dear God, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, they took half of it in taxes. <laughs> I, I could go on, but you get the picture. And as we reflect on all this, I often wonder, where is God? Why isn't God doing something? If he were to ask me, I'll tell you, I have some definite ideas that he should consider and put into action. He hasn't asked me yet, though. In Genesis 1, everything was going so well. God took which was, that which was chaotic and, and empty with void, and he filled it with all good things. He gave it structure. But since that day, the world has gotten less structured and more chaotic, it seems, day by day. Why doesn't God do something? What is he waiting for? Well, the, 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 the prophet Habakkuk has some similar questions for God. How long, O Lord, shall I cry out and you not listen? Shall I shout to you violence and you not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look upon wrong? Indeed, how long, God, and why? Habakkuk sees violence and destruction all around him. He sees society burn, burdened with laws that the courts won't enforce, legislators won't revise, and the prosecutors won't prosecute. Like many of us, Habakkuk is frustrated by the misadventures of rogue enforcement officers who appear to make up the rules as they go along, giving honest and hardworking law officers who are in the majority uh, and, uh, a bad name and making their already difficult jobs even more difficult, if not impossible. He is embarrassed by politicians who bow down before those who fund their political ambitions and their privileged lifestyles. And he wonders, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? And that's how I feel at times. I, I don't understand. I don't know if any of you have those similar feelings. It's not that I don't trust God. I do. I do. I just wonder why those in authority who have the responsibility to address injustice and violence don't do so. Uh, Harry Truman had a, a plaque on his desk that said the buck stops here. And it seems these days that the buck is on a carousel going round and round and round from one hand to another, and it never stops. Habakkuk lists his initial complaint, which is pretty much what we're feeling right now. And God responds. He goes, no problem, Habakkuk. I'm taking care of it. I'm sending the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, you know, the bitter and hasty nation, whose guilty men whose own might is their God. I'm sending them to take care of this situation for me. And I think, that is an awful solution. It really is. What do you mean, God? You're going to use this evil empire to answer my prayers, really? How can you, 
You whose eyes are too pure to look upon evil, who cannot countenance wrongdoing. How can you use an instrument like the Chaldeans, this bitter and hasty nation, guilty men whose own might is their God for your just purposes? How can God use, to paraphrase the prophet, those whose objects of worship are instruments of destruction and profiteering to chastise his chosen people? How can this righteous and holy God abandon his people of the promise to a bunch of hoodlums? Do you ever have questions or doubts along these lines? I do. I mean, too often our political leaders and even some of our religious leaders, those we should be able to respect and emulate, continue to disappoint, abuse their respective offices for personal gain, to promote personal agendas. At the same time, Scripture is very clear that authority is ordained by God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul's letter to Titus, be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work. And from Peter, be subject for the Lord's sake, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Although it seems to me sometimes that those who do evil are praised and those who do good are punished at times. Be subject for the Lord's sake. I find that curious. You know, and as I really, I struggle with this. I reflect on this. Be, be, be subject for the Lord's sake. It seems that our call is not to focus on the people in authority, but the ideal of authority that God has, uh, has intended. It is God and God's call to be submissive that we are to obey because that's God's desire and it is the example of Jesus Christ, of Paul, of Peter, and so many others. I mean, the story of Polycarp, if any of you know, is a beautiful story of that. Certainly without the rule of law and the structure to enforce the rule of law, society can neither exist nor function. Otherwise, each person becomes a law unto himself or herself, and the only law then is the law of the Wild West. Whoever has the quickest and the biggest gun is the law. So authority is needed, but why does God allow so many irresponsible people to hold positions of authority? How does that make sense? Well, Paul probably had similar questions because he writes this in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Now, if you believe, like I do, that God is good, God is love, and God has a plan, a plan that was put in place before the foundation of the world, a plan conceived in all wisdom and insight of all-knowing God, according to the riches of his grace, we, we don't deserve it, we cannot earn it, to be fulfilled uh, when God's timing is right, at just the right time, when God determines the time is full, the time is complete. To plan, a plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. If you believe that that's true, 
then until that time that we see that come to fruition, we must be still and wait patiently to see what God will say and what God will do. That's what Habakkuk does. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. The prophet, like us, sees the world around him and the world uh, around him does not make sense. God seems absent and or apathetic, yet God claims to be in control. So what, what to do? Who, in whom will Habakkuk put his trust? In whom will we put our trust in the midst of all this? And it seems to me there are, there are, are two choices. You know, God gives us choices. He gave us, gave us free will to make moral and ethical choices. And, and the choice seems to be this. We can trust that the dysfunction we see all around us is the true reality. And the only conclusion we can really draw from that is God is irrelevant in 2021. Or, or we can trust in the God who has a plan and has always kept his promises, even as we have over and over broken ours. Psalm 37, although a, a psalm of David, addresses the central theme of Habakkuk's complaint. Do you believe in the prosperity of the wicked or in the providence of Yahweh. Be still before the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Habakkuk decides to wait and see what God will say and what God will do, and then respond. In my life, I have at times both waited patiently and been still, and not waited patiently and not been still. Uh, one, of the, one, of those, uh, one of those times was I had been in a, a, a job for well over 25 years. And for a long time, it had been really interesting, challenging. Uh, we outsourced a lot of stuff, so I had a lot of people, conversations, and learned a lot. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it had gotten mundane. Uh, the, the, the guy who ran the company was winding down, and, and uh, it just wasn't fun anymore. So I decided... I'd like to do something else, and I, I felt maybe a, a nonprofit. So I posted a resume on, on a website, one of those uh, websites for employment. And I got a hit very quickly, and I was sort of surprised. It was from a ministry in the Southwest. It was a prison ministry. It sounded really good. I'd done some uh, volunteer prison ministry uh, with some groups I'd been involved with. And, and I met the, the head of the ministry down in New York. Uh, the person was in New York for a, a conference. And, and we did well. We, we, we were agreeable with each other. I went out and, and saw their mission, and, and that looked great. And we talked about salary, and that all worked out. I mean, it certainly wasn't what you make in the business world, but it was enough to live on. And Andrea and I went out and, and started looking at houses, and we found if we could sell our house in Connecticut and, and pay off our mortgage and still buy a bigger house in this area. Things were going well, and, and all through the process, I heard God say, uh, keep going, keep pushing, unless I tell you to stop. Well, we'd gone through this, and, and we were getting right to the end, and, and all of a sudden, it all fell apart. And I was angry. I mean, I was angry. I did the blame game. I was depressed in some way. Uh, it just, my whole life was just 
disheveled over this whole thing. I had forgotten what God said unless I say to stop. Well, I calmed down a little bit and some friends uh, said, well, you know, you like all this religious stuff. There's a seminary across the Hudson River in, in Nyack. Why don't you take a couple courses? I said, okay. And I took a couple courses, but despite my, my uh, sketchy undergrad career, they let me in. And uh, they required that one choose a course of study. Well, once I did that, being me, I, I said, I'm going to just go for it. I mean, I'm committed. And I went along, I went along, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed the conversation, the back and forth with people who were interested in knowing more about who God is and what that means for our lives. Uh, and then we hit a minor speed bump. Uh, we had a financial setback in our house and uh, I needed to stop. But I remembered a conversation with someone in our metro New York district at the time who said, why don't you take some ordination classes and prepare for that. Classes were a lot less expensive. I said, all right, let me try it for a while. And I went through that whole process. And I, I was sort of, I had sort of made up my mind, it's okay, I'll let go of the, the seminary thing. Uh, let me go through this. And I did my internship, which uh, really was fantastic. It was in a, a Jamaican church in White Plains, New York. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And, and I started thinking, what, what was I going to do with this ordination? And I thought, maybe, you know, I'll take, take the money and I'll, I'll invest and start a Christian uh, coffee shop. Even though there are coffee shops on every street corner that we know. And, and maybe teach. And, and so I'm, I'm really on that track. And I got a call from our assistant uh, district uh, superintendent at that time. And said, John, there's a church up in New Pulse, New York that's looking for pulpit supply, would you go? I said, sure, that sounds like a good idea. My mom had gone to, to college in New Paltz, New York, when it was New York State Teachers College. And I thought that was very cool. And then, and then the church was very neat, a nice little church, a really friendly and, and, and engaging congregation. And it was a nice day and I went home and I went back to my plans. And, and they called about a month later and said, you know, we'd like you to come up and share again, and I did. And then they called a few weeks after that and said, you know, we'd like you to come up and consider being our pastor. And one of the cool things that happened was part of the package was allowing me to finish my master's degree in, in, uh, in seminary. So it, it all worked out. Well, the point here is it was when I was at my watch post, as God was preparing me, even I, although I had no idea he was preparing me for anything, waiting patiently, enjoying the journey, that God provided a right opportunity for me. God has a plan and its fulfillment is certain. I just need to be still and wait patiently for God to call in his perfect timing. Looking again at Psalm 37, verses 10 and 11, uh, it summarizes well God's uh, response to, to Habakkuk's second set of complaints. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. God has a plan, but while all the pieces are in place, God's timing is not yet ripe. Be still and wait patiently. As for God's timing, um, Abram 
Abraham was called by God, go from your country to your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you around 2000 BC. Now that was long after Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were banned from the garden, long after Noah in the flood. 2000 BC, God called Abram to start this solution again. And yet he waited two more millennia before he sent Jesus Christ at just the right time. He sent Jesus Christ in the form of a first century Jew in the land of Judea and Galilee to show us the heart and nature of our God and to heal our sin. At just the right time, after 2,000 years, God doesn't act on demand in our timing. God doesn't do things the way we want them done just because we want them done that way. He is the unsearchable, inscrutable God, and he has a plan, and it will succeed. All that is wrong will be put right in his time, in his way. And until then, we must climb up to our watchtower, stand at our guard post, and wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Lord, I ask you to bless these words and and give them your meaning and your power, Lord, that, that we may know that we may be still and know that you and you alone are God. Amen. I thought back to a game I used to play with my brothers and sisters when I was a kid while John was preaching called Careers. And in that board game, the cards you picked up all had in the back of them opportunity knocks. And I was thinking about what I should be doing while I'm in the watchtower, standing at the guard post, waiting to see what God has to say and how he will answer our complaint. And it occurred to me that while we're waiting and watching, opportunities will still knock. And some of those opportunities will be infected by the virus of the culture, which is the opportunity to complain and gripe. And somehow we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to say no to those opportunities, to make sure we're not distracted so that we miss God's answer when it comes. It's really important for us that while we're standing and watching and waiting that the only opportunities we answer are the ones that the Holy Spirit brings. Not all the opportunities to complain. Because you know how many, well, if we're candid, how many opportunities have you been handed in the last week to complain? Right? Like every person you meet says, do you know what I heard today? And there's the invitation. Or, did you see the news last night? And there's the invitation. And um, we can't go there, can we? If, if our mouths are full of complaint, we'll miss the invitation of the Lord to be his ambassadors of compassion 
and mercy and encouragement and support. And the Lord knows among us we need the encouragement and the mercy and the compassion and the support if we're going to be able to wait for the answer that the Lord brings. Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you and we'll uh, say the benediction and we'll be able to go. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this word that reminds us to wait on you. We trust you. We are confident in you. You've never disappointed. You've never failed us. We know you are living and active in the world. And we tie ourselves to you and ask for your help. Give us patience to wait for your salvation. We pray this in your name. And now may the one who began a good work in you carry it on to completion that we might glorify the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now and always. Amen.